Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. Well, welcome to the Toxin Tasting Studios. I'm Bullhagen. And I'm Burick. And I'm Vicker. And this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. So how you doing, Berg? Good, how are you? Good. Feels like we've done this before. That's probably because we have. <laughs> now you doing, Vicker? I'm all right. Peter, you good? Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to continue with the uh, Divine Service episode because we had we were going to do one episode, but uh, we went a little long, and so we figured we better make this two episodes. So we've got a lot of things coming up on the show. Uh, we've got uh, a campfire catechesis, one of Berg's new segments, and, uh, and uh, some questions to answer. So it should be a good, good episode. Um, one thing we don't have, though, today is a... What do we don't have, Berg? We don't have beverages. We don't have a beverage. So uh, um, we've got this wonderful Vicar app that's going to get me a cup of water because I'm thirsty. Vicar, can you get me a cup of water? <laughs> sure thing. Would you like a cold cup of water or a warm cup of water? I want I want the special water that we use at Trinity for our baptisms. <laughs> you got it. All right. <laughs> Um, while he gets the water, uh, um, well, we, uh, got a few comments on our Facebook page, which sure. was pretty cool. Sure. Um, what kind of comments did we get? It's nice when, uh, when people interact with what we're saying and it, uh, kind of reminds us that we're not actually just talking to ourselves here, mm-hmm. uh, which is good. And, uh, so under, uh, the divine service setting one, uh, post that posted yesterday at 6.02 AM, uh, we have. Uh, someone commenting, uh, too often theologians overly shorten their definitions and terminology when discussing complex issues like adiaphora. Saying adiaphora are merely things neither commanded nor forbidden loses the nuance of the entire Lutheran definition of adiaphora, which is ceremonies or church usages which are neither commanded nor forbidden in the word of God, but have been introduced into the church in the interest of good order and the general welfare. So, you know, Thank you to everyone who uh, is listening and uh, contributing. So, so can you explain that a little bit to me? So we're we're talking adiaphora. A lot of times that that is kind of dumbed down a little bit to mean just either commanded or forbidden scripture, and and that's usually when a lot of times we talk about it, that's what we use. But it, but it does go a little deeper than that, right? It's so usually people use it in a bad way. Right, that well, it's neither commanded nor forbidden, so I can just do whatever I want, and uh, that's that's the wrong way to use this. It's kind of um, like this. It's kind of like uh, we talked about uh, marriage uh, not too long ago, and uh, how uh, how the scripture says, "Wives submit to your husbands as Christ submits to the church." Right? There are some some jerks out there who look at that passage. And they say, "Well, see, you're supposed to submit." To me, mm-hmm. and they kind of use it as a way of well, we don't have to do the the delving into what actually actually that means, but they kind of use it as a lazy way to to support their opinion. Right, that's like the mirror example of this, right? Because in here, it's like, well, I can do whatever I want in the worship service because you know the, the Bible doesn't say right because I'm free. Um, the whole point of adiaphora is to talk about you know what's the point of having a um, of having a structure? What's the point of doing these things? Well, the point of it, the goal is uh, to have good order, mm-hmm. right? That things are orderly. Um, things are set up for the, uh, you know, things are set up for the uh, education of children. Mm-hmm. Um, now, um, just because these things aren't commanded or forbidden doesn't mean they're not helpful. Right. right or beneficial or important. Mm-hmm. It's like, can you have a wedding without a wedding dress? Right. The answer is yes, but yeah. don't don't tell the bride that. Right. <laughs> right. Um, In fact, can you have a wedding without the pastor? <laughs> you can actually. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um, by, by the way, Vicar brought some uh, some water. Very delicious. He even put an ice cube in it. That's a, oh boy, cup above of, and beyond. See, he's been he's been reading uh, he's been reading the Bible. Right, a cup of cold water. Do you, do you know what it actually is? Is is uh, I'm a little behind. I'm supposed to be filling out his evaluation right now. And mm-hmm. I'm choosing to do a, a podcast instead. And because he knows I haven't quite 
filled out that evaluation yet for him that goes back to the seminary. Mm-hmm. Very important, right? Well, I think I the seminary professor should just listen to this podcast. Yeah. And, you know, evaluate him on that, you know. But then they have, have to evaluate their his supervisor, <laughs> which I'm... <laughs> which is going to be awesome. <laughs> That's right. Hey, and uh, we got the go-ahead. We're uh, applying for number 17. Does he know whoever that is, what he's... Getting self into Vicar? No idea. No idea. Yeah. They, um, they do. What, say- cro- what kind of crop is that coming out of the seminary? Uh, that's coming. <laughs> a lot of a lot of good guys in that class. I don't. I don't know them that well, so I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Only that, the- that kind of answer was well, like the kind of answer hmm. a district president gives. Yeah, uh, he might be. I don't know them that well. <laughs> Only the best for. Uh, the Clerical Ears podcast, I'm sure. So, um, Berg, what are you preaching on? Are you doing going with uh, Transfiguration? I am going with the purification of Mary and the presentation of our Lord in the temple, since this Sunday, February 2nd, is 40 days after uh, our Lord's birth. Mm-hmm. And so in this reading, we see that he not only fulfills the Old Testament laws, but that everything that is uh, opened— the, the first male uh, creature that opens the womb needs to be redeemed. So it's kind of funny. Our Redeemer is actually redeemed uh, in that reading. Uh, but most importantly, what I'm preaching on is the Song of Simeon, uh, which we sing every Communion Sunday, uh, the Nuke Dominus. Lord, mm-hmm. let you know, let us thou thy servant depart in peace. Which is a, a good example for episode, because that is often sung in the divine service after you receive the Lord's Supper. Right. You're basically saying, you know, your servant, I am your servant. I have uh, encountered the Lord, received the Lord, and now uh, I can die in peace. Right. You end every service, really. I mean, every communion service with that setting. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> with a with a confession that uh, I may die in peace. And, you know, sometimes that happens. Right. And so we see the liturgy all over in that, right? We see mm-hmm. the Old Testament liturgy. Which points forward to Jesus, right? And I, and, and, and uh, to go back, I want to go back to that uh, that Nunc Dimittis, I may die in peace now, because, you know, uh, Kobe Bryant d- died in a crash yesterday, right? Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and he I, wasn't the only one, though, was he? No, his daughter and about, what, seven others? And uh, what what uh, I've been really interested in listening to everyone talk about that, just because it just hit a lot of people. Life is short. I heard once someone say, this is a good time to to hug your children and your wife and to let all your pettiness go and that kind of thing because you realize how short life is. And uh, I think when you take the Lord's Supper, when you think of what happens on Sunday morning, that could be the last time you go to church. Mm-hmm. You just don't know. Didn't I say in a podcast earlier that, that I did like that for last year out of one out of three or four sermons that I preached was the last sermon that someone heard. Mm-hmm. So so you take for granted the nunc dimittis, Lord, let your servant go in peace. Your word has been fulfilled, um, but uh, we shouldn't. And I think, too, that uh, people of Luther's day were way better at reminding themselves that life was short, not only because they were surrounded by it all the time, but even in art. Um, I was looking at uh, a crypt, uh, on the internet, and it had a skeleton blowing bubbles on one of it, and it was to to show that life is transitory, right? And so um, you see sometimes on uh, the Daily Stoic, for example, on Facebook, uh, they've been selling memento mori coins, something that you're supposed to um, put in your pocket. Then the name memento mori is uh, a remembrance of death that you know one day you're going to die. Um, and I think that really puts our lives into perspective. A lot of the, you know, just like children, a lot of the things that we think are so important really fade into nothingness when you look at it through the backdrop of eternity, you know, against the backdrop of eternity. So Right. So so it doesn't matter what you're saying is that how much one bench presses and clangs and bangs in the weight room really doesn't. Yeah, the clangs and bangs do not echo through eternity. Sorry. <laughs> Um, a vicar, actually, he preaches two Sundays in a row just because he did a, for our pastor's meeting, he did a, a study on the transfiguration. 
He did. It was very good. And uh, so I figured, well, can I preach on that too? Oh, sure. Sure. So, Vicar, what are you preaching on? Yeah, so I'm I'm preaching on the Transfiguration. It's the last Sunday of uh, after the Epiphany. Of and, and I'm asking you with uh, with with honesty because uh, I have no idea what you're going to say yet because I haven't seen the the first draft yet. No, it's it's not on paper. It's, it, it's not on paper yet. Um, you know, pe- preaching back back to back weeks kind of puts it into perspective on uh, kind of the rapid pace that. Uh, preparing for Sunday morning and the service can put on a pastor. So I remember hitting that wall like at about six or seven weeks in, like because you're really fired up that first few times, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, and then after like six or seven weeks of every Sunday preaching, you're like, "Am I sounding the same?" You get paranoid, and all of a sudden, this is getting hard. And <laughs> do you hit that wall too? Something like that. I it comes and goes in spurts. Um, right now, I'm so far ahead that I've got uh, I've almost got my septu my uh, Sexagesima uh, sermon done. So, which wow. is. Have you been taking steroids? So, living the dream, man. <laughs> living the dream. So, Vicar, yeah. I digress. Yeah. So, the text comes from Matthew 17, where Jesus takes uh, with him Peter, James, and John uh, to a high mountain, and he is transfigured before him, before them, and uh, Moses and Elijah appear talking with Jesus. Um, discussing with him, as we learned from the parallel uh, in Luke's gospel, his departure or his exodus into Jerusalem. So the transfiguration, uh, and I don't know exactly what direction I'm going yet, but I think the key is that uh, one, one key is Jesus is true man and true God, and his full divinity is shown through his body that would be crucified on the cross in the transfiguration. And the other key is that they don't stay on the tr- the mount. Mm-hmm. In fact, Peter uh, would like to build three uh, shelters or tents, um, for one for Jesus, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And the voice from the cloud interrupts him mm-hmm. and, and says, uh, as a nice bookend from the baptism of our Lord at the beginning of Epiphany, um, this is my son, uh, listen to the beloved one, listen to him. And... What had Jesus just said? Well, he had just said that he was to go to Jerusalem to suffer and die at the hands of evil men. Peter didn't want to hear that, but that is why our Lord came. Mm -hmm. And so Jesus would come down from this mountain uh, to go to Jerusalem to die and to rise again, um, paying for the sins of the world and and justifying us before the Father. So, uh, One thing that I think what I like about the transfiguration, which goes in with our divine service theme, is this. Is uh, is Jesus shows them who he really is for a brief moment, mm-hmm. and it's the same Jesus that was always with them. They just didn't necessarily see it, right? He gave them a glimpse of recognizing, okay, this is this is what my perfection looks like. Even that was was as brilliant as it was was probably muted because they didn't melt, right? <laughs> there was some protection there, right? Right, but. But we get to see in this, okay, this is who Jesus actually is. Now, it's, he's just going to look like, to your human eyes, like he's like a, a man dying on the cross. You know, there's nothing in his image that's going to just knock you out and say, wow, he is the son of God. Normal, everyday time, it's just going to be Jesus, a man, and him obviously doing miracles, but ultimately teaching the faith. And what it teaches us, I think, is is when you look at what happens on Sunday morning. It just looks like a pastor wearing a white robe. Uh, you know, it tastes like a, a wafer and some, usually some very sweet wine. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we get a chance to, and, and through the eyes of faith, to actually see what is going out in faith, even though all those things, it just looks ordinary. And uh, to realize that Jesus is speaking, that, that his cross is there. And even though it looks ordinary and we could be even offended by how ordinary it could be to the eyes of, of many and to, to our own eyes, but to realize what exactly is going on when Christ meets with his people is a, is a wonderful thing. And to see that, although we don't always see it because that's not how God decided to do it, and we probably couldn't handle it if we could, that uh, he does his work and, uh, you know, he is the one who is washed is clean in the waters of baptism. He's feeding us his very own body and blood for the forgiveness of sins. 
And so that's one thing I like about Transfiguration is it gets us a chance to see see what's going on. So anyways, well, let's continue on. Let's, uh, Peter, play the intro. For Campfire's For Campfire Catechesis. Catechesis. All right, so uh, here we're going to talk about catechesis. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, go ahead. We need to make sure the fire's rolling. Got the fire going? Indeed. It's very soothing. We should just throw some gasoline. On a nice cold night, a nice fire like this is, is kind of nice. I need to get some more ice for our water. It's starting to melt. Yeah? Yeah. Look, I can see my breath. Indeed. <laughs> All right, Ferg. All right, so... Fire's going. All right, so uh, this section is entitled Catechesis, Liturgy, and Drama. Last time we talked about what catechesis is. Catechesis is oral instruction. A teacher or a catechist speaks what is true, and then the student or catechumen speak it back to them. This knowledge does not come from the child's own heart or experience. This knowledge comes from the revelation of God through the Bible. In what sort of settings does catechesis take place? Well, one of the settings in which catechesis takes place is in the Divine Liturgy. Many well-meaning Christians have been deluded. They have been taught that the liturgy is not a good tool for catechesis, for teaching the Christian faith. Rather, they have been taught that the liturgy is actually an impediment to salvation. They have been taught that the liturgy actually gets in the way. They believe that the liturgy is either something that belongs to the Old Covenant and needs to be abolished, or that liturgy is an artificial man-made creation that leads to false worship. I mean, doesn't Jesus say in Matthew 15, 9, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men? Well, first we see liturgy everywhere in the Bible. The whole book of Exodus is about worship. Moses asks God, who burns in the fiery bush, what his name is. Here we see that we cannot call upon God if we don't know his name. We see that liturgy, which is worship, comes up again. Pharaoh is willing to let the children of Israel go, but they're not allowed to take their cattle. In response, Moses says, You must also give us sacrifices and burnt offerings that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. Our livestock also shall go with us. Not a hoof shall be left behind. For we must take some of them to serve the Lord our God. And even we do not know with what we must serve the Lord until we arrive there. Here we see that we ought to worship God as he wants, not as we want. We ought not create liturgies which agree with our own wants or liturgies that we think are relevant. The church year uh, in Exodus is actually started by the institution of the Passover, when the Israelites are commanded to do very specific things which represent the coming Christ and his sacrifice upon the cross. At Sinai, Israel is given not only the law, but they are also given specs for the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a movable tent. The tabernacle was their church. God designed it. He had very specific measurements and materials for the tabernacle. So here's one goal for you this week. Read the book of Exodus with the liturgy in mind. We see, too, that the New Testament church has liturgy as well. In Corinth, everything was in disarray. Pastors would get up and preach while another pastor was already preaching. This was confusing, and it wasn't helpful to the people. This is why St. Paul writes, But if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silence. For you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. We see that the Jerusalem church had liturgy too, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. And we do the same thing today in our services. So the Bible has liturgy, but what is the goal of liturgy in our congregations today? What is the result of having this order? What's the point of it all? Well, the first goal of the liturgy is to train the young and those who don't know God's word. The weekly repetition drills these words of God into their brains and into their hearts. It may take a long time, but that's the name of the game. After six years at my call, I had a parent come up to me and tell me, now I understand why you only do the two services that you do. My kids are now starting to sing along. I baptized their oldest child. 
And so after six years, she is seeing results, and so am I. The children sing the liturgy even though they can't read. We need to be consistent and persistent when doing catechesis. It's a long road, but it does pay off in the end. But liturgy isn't just for kids. Another goal of the liturgy is to unite each and every generation. There's too much focus on the millennials today, or Generation Z, or the boomers, or what have you. There's too much segregation in the congregation between the youth and the adults. A common liturgy unites those who are separated by age, social class, mental ability, and the like. And this is not a pipe dream. This is what Jesus wants. He wants us to be united in thought, in word, and in deed. This is what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. One interesting thing about the liturgy, which is not mentioned very often, is that it has dramatic elements. Now, I'm not saying that the church is a play or that the church building is a theater, but the liturgy does have dramatic elements in it. First, look at the space. In the theater, the actors move in order to show where the action is taking place. In a similar way, the church building is designed with this in mind. Many congregations have movement right away at the beginning of the service. That's called a procession. They come in and go to the sanctuary where the altar is. There is movement between the lectern where the scriptures are read and the pulpit where the sermon is preached. There is movement when the pastor is praying and has his back to the congregation because he's talking to God on their behalf and as their representative. And then the pastor moves and he faces the people and he speaks God's word to them. There is movement to the altar where the Lord's body and blood are consecrated and distributed. There's also mood in the service. During Advent and Lent, the color violet visually signals a time of repentance. In the liturgy itself, the song of the angels, the Gloria and Excelsis drops out. And even the Alleluias drop out. During Passiontide, the time from the fifth Sunday in Lent to Good Friday, we see that all the crucifixes and statues in the church are veiled. Now contrast that with Easter or Christmas. If you just look at the colors and the reintroduction of certain parts of the liturgy, you know that the mood has changed. But the way that I think the way that I think the most dramatic part of the liturgy is are the words. You speak someone else's words. They are not words that you speak out of the poverty of your own heart. These words which you speak are kind of like a script. Now, the liturgy may be dramatic, but it's not a drama. Roman Catholics like Odo Cassell and Episcopalians like Richard McCall who say things, you know, terrible things actually ruin this for us. They'll say things like Built into the very warrant for sacramental worship is a verb of performance. Hidden in that performance is a vision of life in Christ that is not a state of being, but rather an act, an act of the worshipers who enact a cosmos and a community that is nothing less than God's act of creation. What this does is it turns the liturgy into our work or our action. This turns the liturgy, which is originally geared to give us the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, it turns it into law. This turns the objective reality of the atonement into a subjective, postmodern, world-building exercise. For these two guys, the church is not gathered by the Holy Spirit through the Bible, which is God's word. Rather, the church is created by the activity of an individual or individuals. So, back on point. Why do I bring up the point of the liturgy as containing dramatic elements if it can be misused? Well, Aristotle, the great philosopher, wrote that drama, especially tragedy, leads to catharsis. Catharsis means purification or purgation. Greek drama's goal was to purge and to purify. Greek drama's other goal was to give wonder and pleasure to the audience and to the actors. And so it is with our liturgy. Often in life, we get out of balance. We fear too much or we fear too little. We lose sight of our heavenly goal. By mimicking God's words in the liturgy, we are purged. We are purged of evil. We are purged of sin. We are purified and made clean. When our hearts condemn us, the liturgy reminds us that God is greater than our hearts. When we are drunk on happiness, the liturgy reminds us who and what we need. By mimicking, we are purged and cleansed by God. Because what we mimic is true. This mimicking doesn't just repeat what happened in the past. 
we're not only repeating and learning what happened in the past in the liturgy, but we are actually confessing what is happening right now. When we sing the Gloria in excelsis, glory be to God on high and on earth peace, goodwill toward men, we're not just learning what the angels said to the shepherds. What we're saying is that Jesus is here among us now and that he brings peace on peace among us here on earth. When we sing the Nuke Dominus, Lord, let us thou thy servant depart in peace. We're not just learning what old Simeon said. We are saying that we are ready to die in peace and joy because we have seen salvation. We don't get to hold the infant Christ in our arms, but we hold the body and blood of Christ in our mouths. And this mimicry makes us truly human. It makes us who we were meant to be in the beginning because perfect love casts out fear. And when we speak these words, we are filled with wonder at the God who made us, redeemed us, and makes us holy. Unlike the Greeks, who thought that tragedy was the highest form of drama, we know that the highest drama is a comedy. And this isn't a ha-ha sort of drama. For the ancient Greeks, the Romans, and the medieval Christians, the comedy was a stage play with a happy ending. That is why Dante uses the term in the title of his poem, The Divine Comedy. It starts in hell, but it ends in heaven. So it is with the liturgy. We start lowly, base, and sinful, and at the end we sing the Nuke Dominus, that we are now ready to die, because we have seen Jesus in the bread and in the wine of the Lord's Supper. And so take the time to learn your part. Look at the scripture references in the liturgy. Read them. Inwardly digest them. Think about them. And repeat them again and again and again. All right. Hey, Peter, put some applause behind that at the end. All right. I like that, Berg. You know, one thing that came to mind? What's that? Is uh, there's something that, that uh, we kind of joke joke around with. Uh, um, Peter will tell you this. It was uh, the phrase, well, not with that attitude. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way it's used is, is, is in this sense, okay? Well, this will never work. Well, not with that attitude, <laughs> right? It's true. And sometimes we use it in uh, in ridiculous when something obviously won't work, and then Peter will say, what will you say, Peter? Well, not with that attitude. That's right. But here's the thing, is I think that really applies to what you're saying. If you view the, the liturgy as is just this archaic dying thing, and you half-heartedly say the words without actually contemplating it, taking it to heart, and realize what's going on, exactly with that attitude, it's going to be exactly what you imagined in your mind it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And it's not just you, but your kids. It affects others. Because people see that. they, When you see somebody who's not singing, who's not participating in the liturgy, it you do have an effect. You're actually making a confession. Yeah. And you're confessing, this is boring. This right. isn't for me. Right. It, and so, and even if, you know, I, I can relate sometimes to the whole boring thing, you know, giving my, the kind of nature that I am person and uh, I am, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you learn through the process and you are fed. And yep. it's not, you know, it, uh, the most exciting things in the world uh, that fascinate me aren't always the ones that are best for me. Indeed. And so, and so that I think that's one thing I really got from what you were saying is, is if if you're on the fence and not sure about these things, right, and you don't want to, not you think it's interesting, it seems in one way archaic and maybe doesn't speak to our kind of culture, and and you, you kind of wrestle with this and you think, well, how is this this service which seems that way? How is that gonna to uh, to change hearts and minds, or how's it going to appeal to visitors? And I would say this, not with that attitude. That attitude, or buy in. Buy in. Another th- one of my themes lately, yep. right? And I really do think to to, to uh, from the behind the collar, those type of thoughts are important to realize. Is is to buy into these things as a as a church to to buy into them as a a listener to speak up for them and say let's trust what god's word says let's trust what uh the generations before us saw was important and sustained them and and to to be a part of that history and to understand 
what what is happening on Sunday morning, what God is doing, because then you don't have to manufacture anything. Mm-hmm. One thing I think we all have a problem with, at least being an American, is that you know we we're all so darn individualistic. Yeah, you know, and we want to we we want efficiency. We want to get her done right. Mm-hmm. Well, both of those things are not very good for catechesis. Mm-hmm. You right? you, meant, you mentioned how part of the liturgy is you're saying words that are are not your own. Mm-hmm. It, it and uh, it's kind of like this. Do you know every pastor will cringe at this? Like whenever you watch anything and people say, "Yeah, we wrote our own wedding vows." Yeah, and a lot of times they they write their own wedding vows, and it's actually not a wedding vow. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. I promise that you know that uh, our whole life through, I will you know never leave the toilet seat up, and and I will you know love you and cherish you and and I'll really like. And then what happens if you do leave the toilet seat up? Right, like you, instant you broke divorce? your wedding vows, you <laughs> fool. <laughs> and you 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 said that you would always like my cooking. You promised <laughs> in the sight of God and all these people. See, and people understand this because the one I the one thing that Americans actually do respect in terms of liturgy, military services. Yeah. That is the one thing that they still respect. Hmm. Um, especially you look at all the Kaepernick stuff that went out. Mm-hmm. You look at how people, I mean, people will tear up at, right. the, at the gun salute. And, and right? people, people will, will, will say, well, you know, it's offensive if you don't stand for the flag, but then you ask them to stand for prayer and like, oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I mean, like this, and I'm not trying to like knock knock anybody down here, but that is a point of contact. It's like if you find the military services um, inspiring, right? Well, but, but Berg, here, you know, people died for the flag. Yeah, and Jesus died for them while they were oh. still sinners. Wait, let me write this down. I'm starting to piece it together, Bert. <laughs> right, and and part of it is just you know I don't I don't know if part of it is is because you know people have just done it and never thought about it. But really, go home and think about it. Right, actually dig into it. Actually make it a part of your life. Um, you know, and there's great value in it. One one thing I appreciated, Berg, was your discussion about. Uniting the generations mm-hmm. with a common liturgy, and I actually just read an article, um, very interesting. Uh, it, it was catchy. in the In the opening paragraph, it had these titles: dysfunctional, violent, irrational. And the question was, well, what generation is this about? And there are actually newspaper articles in the 1930s describing what we consider the greatest generation mm-hmm. when we're talking about the millennials, right? right? People want to segregate them and try to figure out how to solve the millennial complex. Right. And this isn't anything new. Right. People were saying the same thing in different language, in different words about, uh, you know, what we consider the greatest generation and um, the liturgy and indeed the church being united to Christ as a family, a divine family, uh, which I just went through Bible study in Mark chapter three, where Jesus asked a question. Well, well, uh, he gets asked, "Who are your, or who are my?" He asked a question, "Who are my mother and my brother, and my sister?" And he said, "Well, it's these ones, these ones sitting with me who hear my words, the church." Right. And uh, the more that we can bring out the familial, divine familial connection through Christ. Uh, we can uh, really reach a society where biological families are broken left and right. Yep. And uh, we've got a lot of great grandparents that would love to be your kid's grandparent here at Trinity mm-hmm. in Hampton. And this also, too, um, if we are a family, then that means, too, that the kid's parents shouldn't be the only ones teaching Sunday school either. Right. Right? Yeah. That yeah. We, we should actually be fostering these uh, connections between mm-hmm. people who are not their parents, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if that's you know, and so yeah, the uh, you know because it seems like we've been coming up to this generational thing, yeah, a lot lately. Um, and uh, I just want to 
if I could uh, make a plea or a request for some of the pastors out there too. Um, if if you heard the uh, Melba episode and you have someone that you serve that you think would be good for that, you know, I think it would be fun for me to spend a day to kind of drive up, record right. something like that, and uh, maybe, you know, and maybe do some things with the pastor to, to kind of put something together like that. So, so pastors, if you if you have someone who has a voice that you think is important for for us to hear, um, someone that uh, you want recorded for the sake of of edifying the people of God, and and you want to make sure that the voice that you love and that you hear in your visits is heard, please get a hold of me, Vicar. Where can they find me at? Well, they can find you on Facebook. Uh, if they search clerical heirs, uh, they can find you on Twitter at clerical heirs P at me, bro for podcast. They can uh, reach us through any of those podcast apps that are out there or send us an email at mm-hmm. clerical Uh, that would be feedback at clerical or yeah, but I think yeah. I would be willing to take a day. It would be really fun for, for me on, a, on my day off to, you know, if I have to drive a couple hours, drive a couple hours, you know, mm-hmm. meet you uh, and uh, bring my little recorder along and do something like that. That would be fun. And because that's one thing I've received with that Melba episode. I've received people saying, hey, can you do more of these? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and if you're looking for a home, you know, there's a local LCMS church, right? Right. right. Find one, right? Find one. But, you know, also too, don't, don't always expect to be like brought in right away. It actually takes work to develop some of these relationships, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I so. mean that happens in Iowa. You know, we're a friendly. I think we're a friendly congregation, but mm-hmm. you know, when you have you come in new and you have generations, families there, it can be a little intimidating, right? And but, it and it might take a little bit of time, but you know, stick with it. Give it six months. You know, mm-hmm. it's like meeting the in laws. Yeah, <laughs> you, know, you know, it's kind of like this too. Is is I you wouldn't believe for the listener how often, especially if you're if you're not a pastor, okay, how often Berg do we hear when we're visiting someone who can't go to church anymore? I miss coming to church. Mm-hmm. Yep, I hear that all the time. Vicar, do you hear that a lot too? I do. Yeah, and uh, you know it's because that's their their family. They they don't talk about missing going to the grocery store or missing playing cards so much is I really hear a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing. The church is not just the place where our sins are daily and richly forgiven, right? That's the main purpose of it. Yeah. But the church is also a gift, mm-hmm. right? Where in his one, in his own body, Christ has united very, very different people. Yep. Right? Jews and Gentiles. And one of the ways that he does that is through the liturgy. Amen. All right. That brings us to our next section. We will go with Confound the Clerics. Peter, play the intro. Confound the Clerics. So, uh, Peter, we have we have a question from one of our... Um, you know, last time we, I said we had a, like our favorite listener, mm-hmm. our Patreon supporter. Right. But, but uh, she's kind of up there too because she contributes right she is a contributor she sure does we're talking about our 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 good and faithful listener hannah and uh she asks us a question um uh vicar or peter can you uh do you have that question yep she says hello clerics i asked my pastor for help while writing a collect for people struggling with gender confusion and he mentioned that it sounded more like a Mozabaric or Moza. I would like to say, that, say right. that I know exactly how that's pronounced, but but uh, we are all looking at each other. That's why we have the Vicar app. Mozarabic. Mozarabic. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's what they teach it at the seminary, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Which is interesting because that means. Well, it's relating to the Christian inhabitants of Spain under the Muslim Moorish kings. So, okay. Anyway. Well, continue the question. Yeah. Conti- yeah. <laughs> so. Mozab Eric. Uh, he mentioned that it sounded more like a uh, Maz Arabic. Yeah. I still couldn't hear you. Maz Arabic. Yeah. 
Mozarabic collect than a Roman slash Frankish one. What is he talking about? Uh, she says in parentheses, yes, I know I could ask him or look it up on Lutheran Encyclopedia, but asking you is much more entertaining. Keep up the convers- the keep up the confessional goofs and tell Peter not to miss any more recording sessions. Hannah. <laughs> Hannah gets the show. <laughs> Hannah gets all right, so so I'll I'll start with a Frankish. That's Frankish is when you're kinda of telling the truth. <laughs> so you know, I wanna be frank, but you're not ready for the truth, so I'm gonna be, you know, a little Frank Frankish. Ish. I could be wrong. Berg, what do you know? Okay, so the Mozarabic or Mozarabic. Mozarabic. Yeah. The Mozarabic rite um, is also known as the Visigothic or the Hispanic rite. Um, it actually goes. Actually, we call that Latino now. Yes. Latino. No, this is Spanish. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't get that right. I'll never get that so, right. Okay. So go, go back in time. Um, a, a long time, uh, fifteen hundred years. Okay, the uh, the Holy Roman Empire encompassed all of all of you know Europe up until the up till about the Danube, and uh, parts of North Africa, um, the the Holy Land, and Spain. Okay, and they were all united. Well, when the Holy Roman Empire was falling apart, you had um, West Goths, the Visigoths. And you had the Ostrogoths, the East Goths, right? Sounds like a I, I actually sounds like a gang, right? You throw up yeah. your, you know, Pastor Bullhagen can throw up some, uh, um, you know, Ostrogoth mm-hmm. and, signs. Well, actually, um, this is true. I actually had some Goths at my high school. <laughs> so I mean, don't mind me to sound like an ex- expert, but I kind of kind of knew some of those guys. Well, and, and it's important, you know. Okay, and that's actually related, right? It, it is even though it doesn't seem like it, right? Because that's what they called Gothic architecture because mm-hmm. they thought it was barbaric. And mm-hmm. so they attached this name Goth to it. Well, that Gothic architecture is kind of the setting of um, Warren's uh, Walpool, Walpool's uh, first Gothic novel, right? The castle of the Count of Ortrenu, right? And so what falls into this Gothic? You have... Dracula, Frankenstein, all that kind of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So what are goths? People who hang out in graveyards and spooky old castles and that sort of stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So it actually all comes from these barbarian tribes. So oh, do you know what I mean? I told it you. It is. It's like... <laughs> so you probably thought I was joking. Something like that. <laughs> so anyway, the Visigoths uh, invade Spain, or what we know as modern-day Spain, and uh, they had been converted by the Arians. Now, the Arians were a group of people who confessed to be Christians, but they believed that Christ was not true God, but that he was a creature. Okay? And so they, you know, they settled in these areas. So what, what did the Christians do, um, you know, the ones who confessed it, the Holy Trinity, that God is, you know, one being in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, in their prayers, they talk a lot about Jesus, okay? Mm-hmm. Because Jesus, uh, you know, you direct your prayers to God, and if you're praying to Jesus, you are confessing that he is true God, right? Um, it is also out of Spain where um, the philoque is added, right? So in the Nicene Creed, we say... Um, you know, that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and, and the, the Son, Son, right? This actually comes out of that time. It was a confession against those um, er, those Arians who were saying, well, if the Holy Spirit only proceeds from the Father, then Jesus has got to be like a, a lesser God, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, maybe your prayer is directed more towards Jesus. That could be. I don't know. It's hard to say without actually looking at your collect. And a collect is... Bicker. A collect is a concisely written prayer that collects the prayers of the people. And typically in the divine service, we have a collect of the day, which is prayed toward the beginning of the divine service prior to the reading of Holy Scripture. And it uh, contains uh, doctrine or or uh, language that's found in the readings. And the collect usually follows a pattern of, and maybe Hannah, you can check if you have these, 
uh, addressed to God. You have a basis for the prayer. You have the petition, which is that center of the collect. You have a desired benefit or result, and you finish with the Trinitarian uh, ending. And, and you actually, in some places, churches where they spend a lot of time chanting the collects, you actually have a tone change mm-hmm. that reflects each of those parts. Right. Right. You know? Right, exactly. Yep. And so once the Visigoths went away, well, then what happened? The Muslims came, right? The Umayyads were kicked out of their seat of power, and they went west. And they took over a lot of Spain, right? Mm -hmm. And they were there for a long time. And that's why Spanish architecture is this really interesting synthesis of Arabic and Christian you know, architecture. It's also through Spain that we got the works of Aristotle, which led to, you know, the rise of the universities and, you know, the 12th century. So do we have any examples? Vicar, could you think you can find an example of a Mozarabic collect? So that I, cause I like to hear a difference. Right. And I'm wondering based on that, maybe a, a Mozarabic collect might have more of a protest theme yeah i mean i'm thinking it's probably more of a prayer to jesus if that you know that's kind of what i was picking up it's hard to know without actually seeing it and uh knowing what this other pastor was talking about right but i actually do appreciate though in your question the fact that uh, the collect is for those who are struggling with gender identity Mm -hmm. because because that whole discussion can be lost because it seems like either you have one group that says, okay, you know, we need to to accept them for whatever gender they choose. Then you have another group on the other hand that says, no, you, you are who you are, and you're silly if you struggle with that. But I think there's a way as Christians we need to remember that people who do have their struggles um, need our prayers. Yeah. And, and it's people who have, you know, we have a very good habit of of, uh, of showing great displeasure to people who have different temptations than our own. Mm-hmm. And we also have, when we look at our own temptations, a way of, of minimizing because we realize how intense that temptation is for us. And people don't get it because we're so tempted by this. When I think we should be mindful that we all have corrupted consciences and we all have different tempta- temptations. And to rather than just do on the one hand, just castigate those by their temptation, but uh, for all of us who have temptations, to remember them in our prayers. Yeah. So, did you find one, Vicar? Yeah, this is a English translation of a 7th century Mozarabic uh, collect that can be found in the revised prayer book of the Reformed Spanish Church. O Christ, thou true Redeemer of the world, who the angel having rolled away the stone from the sepulcher, didst by thy wondrous power triumph over death, and was pleased to first announce thy resurrection to tender women who sought thee with so great regard. Deliver us from all weakness, take away from our mouth every stone which would prevent our confessing thy name, and grant that we may ever delight in thy service in loving thee, with increasing fervor, may be comforted with thy everlasting consolation. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a beautiful that, prayer. Yeah, I, I heard that. I thought, oh, Bird's going to love that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very beautiful, especially using the basis of the prayer um, in, the, in the petition, right? The, the angel rolling away the stone and then talking about how Christ, you know, asking Christ to remove the stones from our own tongues. Yeah. Right? I, I mean, if... If your Mozambique prayer sounds like that, yeah, you know, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think just uh, just very quickly going through these prayers, it seems like they avoid the Trinity, mentioning the Trinity in the prayers. Um, it seems that if it's addressed to the Father, then the Father is addressed throughout the prayer. If it's addressed to the Son, mm-hmm. the Son is addressed throughout the prayer. Um, though there is one here for the Holy Spirit, 
O Holy Spirit Comforter with the Father and the Son. Um, yeah, so... What's the timeline on that? Does it say when, when that one was written? It doesn't. It's found in Prayers of the Middle Ages uh, in 1954. This is a... It, we can post a link, I think, on the Facebook page to this collection of Mozarabic prayers. Mm-hmm. So Public Domain, uh, which was published in a book... Um, very early on. I don't know. I don't have the date here, but it's public domain. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Well, hopefully we sufficiently an- answered your question. It was a fun topic, you know? Indeed. We actually had to do a little research. That was a little Very different. apropos for this, <laughs> yeah. uh, for this setting, too. And by we, I mean um, Berg and Vicker had to do a lot of research because well, I already knew it all. I just wanted to hear it from their mouths. You knew the goths. Indeed. That's right. You knew the goths. <laughs> yeah. I like listen to the Cure a lot. Remember the Cure? Anyways, no, I don't actually. <laughs> Sorry. So, um, before we get into our our next uh, uh, section here, just a plea to our listeners. Uh, Hannah had sent in some uh, some of her favorite moments as we get ready for the Talks and Tasties Awards. What are some of yours? Peter wants to know. What are your favorite moments? Um, do you have a favorite uh, top twelve list? Do you have a favorite? Um, uh, confound the clerics. Do you have a favorite blasphemy? Um, do you have a favorite moment? And and so, please let us know because that actually helps guide our show a little bit too. Right. Of, of what you like to hear. So so please, um, Vicar already said where you can get a hold of us. If you have favorite moments, please let us know. And so that brings us to uh, I'd like to do a actually a news that bothers Berg. Awesome. So Peter, play the intro. There's fake news, there's real news, then there's real news that Berg wishes was fake. It's time to hear news that bothers Berg. So this is uh, something that uh, um, was brought to my attention as, you know, an older American, uh, Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it was... uh, it was a uh, someone. It was. It's called a hymn. Had written a hymn, and it was someone had said that this was very meaningful to them, and it kind of expressed their thoughts. Okay. Okay. And uh, it is called a hymn for the eighty-one. Have you ever heard this hymn? You mean like eighty-one years old, or? Um, no, it is entitled "Hymn for the 81. Because it was written because apparently uh, 81% of evangelical Christians voted for Trump. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's see if this bothers you. for the 81. Okay. Right. And so this is a hymn written uh, for those folks. Any any any, uh, any comments yet so far? Are you... Uh, uh, I... Hmm. I, it's just such quote-unquote relative garbage. I mean, you know, anything that's going to last the ages isn't written like this. I mean, this Okay, just... I'm not finding the lyrics, so I'm going to have to look at the video, okay? And the lyrics will come as they go, okay? So Okay. All right, so uh, uh, this will probably work out horribly, but we'll try this, all right? I'm going to play it, and then... Uh, um, you know, you guys talk amongst yourself, and I'll throw a lyric out at you, okay? Okay. All right. Okay, I grew up in the churches, Sunday morning and evening service, knelt in tears at the foot of the old rugged cross. You taught me every life is sacred, feed the hungry, clothe the naked. I learned from you the highest law is love. And I believed you when you said that I should trust the words in red to guide my steps through a wicked world. I assumed you'd do the same. So imagine my dismay. When I watched you lead the sheep to the wolves. You said to love the lost, so I'm loving you now. You said to speak the truth, I'm calling you out. Why don't you live the words that you put in my mouth? My, may love overcome and justice roll down. They start putting kids in cages, ripping mothers from their babies. And looked to you to sp- and I look to you to speak on their behalf. 
But all I heard was silence, or worse, you justified it, singing, glory, hallelujah, raise the flag. Your fear had turned to hatred, but you baptized it with language, torn from the pages of the good book. You weaponized religion, and you wonder why I'm leaving to find Jesus on the wrong side of your walls. You said to love the lost, so I'm loving you now. You said to speak the truth, so I'm calling you out, and so on. So, Berg, did I find something that bothers Berg? Oh, yeah. I mean... You know, well, this actually, too, goes with the catechesis, right? The words you put in my mouth, that's true, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So that's, I mean, that was good, right? Um, The thing is, is that this person has taken what is told to all Christians, right? What is an individual responsibility for all Christians to do good to all and has applied it to the state, Um, They have confused um, Christian generosity and love um, with the the goal of the state. And the goal of the state is different than that of the church. It it, it is. Implying, because the 81 is, if the 81 is referencing to 81% who voted for Trump, okay? Right. And actually referring, he says, we're taught to love the lost, and that's why I'm speaking to you. So in other words, if you voted for Trump— You're lost. You're lost. If you voted for Trump, now, uh, now I think now, some... now, now, of course, that could be taken, uh, Eighth Commandment, right? That could be taken as, well, they're erring, right? right? And, I mean, this person probably really has some very strong convic- convictions about mm-hmm. this stuff, right? And, you know, that's, I mean, that's a good thing. I mean, that we can actually start the conversation there. Um, the thing is, is that should an entire nation... And the and the laws that we have passed in order to protect uh, the bodies and uh, the property and the livelihoods of others um, should that be co-opted by the church? And the thing is, is no. The gospel is an eternal spiritual treasure. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like a bulldozer level uh, the family or the state. And this is what what struck me about the hymn. This I don't know what I'll call it. It's called a hymn, but it's not really a hymn. Right. You know, um, not by our definitions necessarily, but is the fact that it says it, it speaks in love for for people. And if you vote for Trump, you know, you're not acting in love because obviously he hates people. But here's the thing. Like, if you really are are on the side of, of love, how could you not just gloss over and not talk about abortion? Yeah, I mean, that's the I mean, other thing I was going to bring up, too. It's like, you know, if we're going to talk about this, then let's talk about the murder of unborn children. I mean, because I tell you what, Trump has done a lot. President Trump has done a lot to, um, now, you now, know, for, for the lives of the unborn. He's the right. first president to speak at the March for Life rally. No, I actually you know? have read, read though, that... Um, that uh, uh, Planned Parenthood is still getting probably even more money. Oh, really? Is it from states or is it from federal? I'm I'm not exactly sure. So there are some who feel as though, you know, he's done some things. He's verbally supported it, but maybe sometimes financially. Um, that may not be the case. But, and so. Well, and the thing is, is that the president is the executive office of the United States. We also have a legislature, mm-hmm. you know, two houses. Right. Right. And this is why, I don't know, as Christians, the, the laws that are given to Christians, the law of love, um, the best way to look at this is uh, through um, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. You help the one who is put in your path. And, and, and when the Bible talks about the government, let's be honest, okay? When the government talks about the government, it talks about someone who bears the sword. Right. Someone who bears the sword, someone who when, punishes When, it, when the Bible talks about caring for others, it talks about the church and the people of God. When it talks about the government, it talks about in terms of of something that you should fear and, and be afraid of. Right. And, and so this is what I, I don't like about this. And, is, I, and honestly, I, I would love to see, you know, because ripping children away from their mothers and this sort of thing. I mean, it's... <laughs> Well, I, I mean, it's very powerful language. I just sometimes I wonder how true it is. You yeah, know? And, and, and I'm sorry so, if you've broken the law, 
you know, if there was a mother who broke the law, you know, um, yeah, of course your kids are going to be separated from you while you're being processed, you mm-hmm. know, because that's what crossing a border is. It's actually breaking the law. Right. And, and you know, part of me says, well, it's breaking the law, but, you know, if I was a father in a certain situation and my family was in danger or I couldn't feed them, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. I'm, but but my point is this, is that I really want to get, without getting sidetracked here, is is I don't like how in the political system, how it really is, I think the devil is using this to divide churches. If you vote a certain way, all of a sudden we can't worship together. Mm-hmm. It's tearing families apart. I know families who, you know, where where family have different political views and they won't speak to each other anymore. Mm-hmm. And they're, this garbage is being brought into the church where where rather than having a civil discourse, you know, we can all agree that we should love our neighbor, right? Right. The government, we can argue about how that love is, love is carried out. Right. Because, you know, you know, so, so some say keeping a secure border is love. So some say it's not love. That's an honest discussion we could have, right? Mm-hmm. But, but to, to say that, to question motives and say, well, just because the way you love is different as far as how it's carried out, you know, there are certain things you know. The Ten Commandments, that is a good way to show love to God and whatever that we can stand by. But there are other things where it's not quite so clear, just like caring for the environment. The Bible talks about, yeah, you should uh, be caretakers of the creation. And I don't and, know. I I mean, I think it's pretty clear if you break the Fourth Commandment when you break yeah, the laws of this nation. That's true. You know, if you want to work to fix the what what do you think fix the laws? That's great. Let's have a discussion about it. Yeah, right? yeah. I, mean, I, I I think that's you know, a, that's it, a good distinction. But know. when it comes to to political ideology, though, is my point. Yeah, is is well, is that's really dividing the church. It really yeah. is. Well, and this the is fact why that I'm so, I'm sorry. Yeah, go the, for the, it. The fact that 81 percent voted for someone. Okay, you know that might show that. There's something there that's just beyond politics, and and also a lot of the politics are really trying to undo the church as well. Right. Well, this is why whenever you're talking about a law, you have to first talk about it legally and procedurally. The second way that you talk about it, and the more important way, is it moral, right? Mm-hmm. Because me not wearing my seatbelt, it does break the law, right? But most of the time, it's not going to be, it's not a moral issue, right? And there are things that are moral issues that you can do legally, right? Mm-hmm. And so those are things we all have to keep in mind. Um, now, there is one party in the United States whose platform is abortion mm-hmm. and the murder of babies. And while it's legal, it is not moral. Um, you know, so, and I, I always think, too, we should be focusing more on our own Rather than always looking to Washington, let's focus on our own communities here and right. build those up and elect officials here that will protect life and liberty and property. And another thing, too, is this, is it castigates the 81%. As though all of a sudden, you know, when you, you look at a church that it seeks to be faithful to God's word, why on earth would they vote for people who spend most of their time trying to dismiss them? Yeah. You know, I mean, to, to push Planned Parenthood or to to force uh, real fears that churches may have that uh, that 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 they might have legal action. ramifications for simply seeking to follow the, the Bible, right? Or who like a, a, a presidential candidate who who really goes after Christians and and tries to push a religion that the Bible isn't, you know. Why would those eighty-one percent all of a sudden say, "Okay, we're going to vote for this guy"? So that, yeah, I mean, that's another, you know. So we just have to be honest about these things, and not call each other stupid, right? That's, I mean, that's the biggest muckraking that there is, right? Um, but, however, but to go back to know, the liturgy, what would you say? The liturgy? There's a unifying thing in the liturgy, right? right? And and hopefully, you know, to start with the fact that yes, we both believe that the highest law is love love for the neighbor love does no harm to the neighbor now 
what are the implications of that and what does that look like? You know, that would be the next step, mm-hmm. you know, in this discussion. So. So. All right. Um, Vicar, what are you thinking about right now? Vicar. The uh, temperature of baptismal water. Oh, you think we should put ice cubes in it? No, I hear that probably will make babies pee. Maybe. Yeah. Too can, I, can, I, can, I, can I tell you a story? Please. <laughs> uh, I don't know if my dad even knows this or not. My father. My yep. father's a very nice guy. Although sometimes he leaves angry phone messages. But that's beside <laughs> the point. Um, um, but uh, I remember when I was in high school, he, he was taking a nap on the couch. And I wanted to try the hand in warm water thing, right? Yeah. You know, if you if someone's you put their hand in warm water while they're sleeping, they're... Right, they urinate. Right. So so I, I try that on my father when he's sleeping. Oh, no. And uh, he he kind of lurches a little bit, and uh, I spill water all over him. And he just looks at me confused, and I, I said, Oh, Dad, you were sleeping kind of hard. I thought you might be thirsty when you woke up, and I got you a cup of water. And then he goes... And he starts to kind of wake up and go, oh, you know what? I am kind of thirsty. Well, I thank you, my son. And I. <laughs> that is 100% believable. I absolutely believe that. So, anyways, I think that's a, a fantastic way to end the show. Indeed. So, uh, that, that uh, is setting two. So, uh, um, thank you for. Uh, being listening and joining us and uh, um, and I'm Brock Bullhagen and I'm Berg I'm Vicar may your services be divine and Ms. Arabic thank you for joining us this podcast is available on iTunes Google Play Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts questions thoughts concerns you can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash clerical podcast on Twitter at Clerical Heirs P for podcast or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.